0: Welcome to the number one cookbook podcast, Cookery by the Book, with Susie Chase. She's just a home cook in New York City, sitting at her dining room table, talking to cookbook authors.
1: It's Simon Bajada speaking on my new cookbook, New and Old Recipes, Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania.
0: For more Cookery by the Book, you can follow me on Instagram. If you enjoy this podcast, please be sure to share it with a friend. I'm always looking for new people to enjoy Cookery by the Book. Now on with the show. The Baltic states were named among New York Times' 52 best places to go in 2018, So on to a little geography. The Baltic region encompasses three northern European countries to the east of the Baltic Sea. Apparently, Estonia is more Nordic of them all, and Latvia and Lithuania are more Russian-influenced. Could you give us a little overview of the three different countries and where they're located?
1: Certainly. Estonia is in the north, most northern part, and I think that's why it gets some of its um, Nordic influence, just geographically being there under Finland uh, and with Sweden across to the west. Uh, underneath Latvia is, yeah, uh, one quarter of the population today is, is still of Russian origin. And, um, and below that, to the south, just north of Poland is Lithuania.
0: So here's a little factoid that I found out. Estonia has a huge startup culture, and thanks to them we're chatting today on Skype.
1: yeah, that's right yeah that I funny? understand yeah, I understand that it was developed there um, uh, I'm not sure if they're still operating out of there and Probably not. Uh, <laughs> uh, and, um, also it's, it's actually one of the first, uh, countries to offer the, in the world, uh, digital citizenship. So you can run a business out of Estonia without actually being there.
0: Oh, that's shady. Yes. <laughs> Latvia is where the most Russian families have remained post independence. What's a classic Latvian Russian dish?
1: There's quite a few that, um, that are still eaten there in, in the cuisine, um certainly, oh, actually, there's one in the book that we could talk of where I've done a little modern ad- adaptation, uh, being rassoles. Uh, it's a salad that was developed a long time ago, um, a cold salad, which uses boiled root vegetables, generally, likely beets and potatoes. And it has a real assortment of um, other ingredients through it. It can be uh, chopped ham, peas even uh, smoked fish or cured fish, Uh, also chopped egg in there, and it's uh, all bound together with the mayonnaise. So everyone has a different recipe, and it's adapted a lot over the years, Um, but it's certainly, the origins are from Russia, and it's still eaten there today.
0: So Lithuania was once one of the largest European powers with a territory that extended from the Baltic Sea to the Black Sea, close to the Ottoman Empire. What happened to all that land?
1: Yeah, I find that uh, fascinating in in the historic research I did. I mean, it's a huge area. And also interesting is that um, it's always been a very multicultural place, like as far back as the 14th century. A lot of royalty were invited from around Europe to set up there. To your question about what happened to it, I never actually found the answer to that. But I would assume that at some stage, Russia ended up encompassing the region because it was geographically a similar region. But the Russian Empire came and uh, and took over that land.
0: Speaking of the Russians, after 50 years of Soviet rule, what exactly is post-Soviet cuisine?
1: I think post-Soviet cuisine is is the Baltic countries' answer to new Nordic cuisine. The young chefs realized that they could identify with their culinary roots. Rather than looking at other countries like Italian, French, food everyone loves, they thought, well, what's our food? And and that's certainly what happened in the Nordic countries, and they developed it into something hugely successful and modern. Everyone's felt the effects of that around the world. And I think the Baltic countries being in a similar geographic region thought, oh, Their produce is similar, our techniques are similar. And so the young chefs have now been looking to what the foods were ahead of the Soviet times to identify more closely what what their country's cuisine was. And uh, they're making modern adaptations on that.
0: Can you describe the Baltic weight? Yeah, that
1: was also fascinating to read of in research because I actually didn't hear about it in the 80s, but um, I think it was around 3 million people across the three countries came together to unify and join hands and form a physical uh, line of people uh, in protest to Soviet occupation. And um, you saw the picture in the start of the book, perhaps?
0: hmm I sure did.
1: I think it, it speaks to the three countries working together uh, as they do today. And, um, yeah, I think it's a proud moment for them.
0: What are the smells in kitchens alongside the Baltic Sea? Um,
1: admittedly, I'm going to say that I'm not the most romantic um, writer. So I actually, for the book, turned to a local, and uh, she was very generous to give some introductory texts for the book. Yeah, Sandra, a local in, in Latvia. But yeah, she, she talks about it. She talks about the ocean. She talks about all the smells coming from the forest, uh, the mint uh, growing wild, uh, the smoke coming from smoke houses, I believe.
0: Yeah, the blue cheese and hemp butter.
1: Oh, yes. yes, yeah, she talks about the hemp butter. That's a, that's a really interesting ingredient to find being used there, actually, because it's not so common in many cuisines the farmers used to use the oil from the hemp seed to condition their hands because of all the hard labor. And, and they also started to realize that the oil could be used in salads and uh, crushed to go in butters, etc. And uh, I think through the Soviet time, the farms were closed down and uh, they stopped the production. Since the 90s, it's it's experiencing a bit of a resurgence. And now there's been leniency on the laws, so people can grow the hemp again. And uh, it's a product you'll find in the supermarkets.
0: I read that you said there's no personal backstory to this book. What prompted you to write it?
1: I've always loved foreign cuisines. And when I visit places, it's all I'm looking for, those little nuances about something that's unique or a technique that's unique. And I first visited uh, Latvia in 2008 and visited a restaurant which is still there today. They're actually a small chain where um, the local Latvian food is is served on a buffet every day. I just couldn't believe it. When I walked in (laughs) and saw these dishes, uh, I was taking notes immediately. One of the first things I saw was the chilled beet soup. Uh, which is also eaten in other countries, Poland, Russia, but th- that was the first time I saw it. And then all of a sudden, this this assortment of cabbage dishes and pickle dishes and everything it just grabbed my attention. And uh, since two thousand and eight, I visited over the years, being living here in Sweden, and went on some press trips. And every time I visited, I just Dug a little deeper and deeper every time, and I started to realize that a lot of the recipes of the things I wanted to eat they weren't appearing anywhere. Um, so I thought, oh, I'll make a little collection, and and then I started to look for books, and I realized that some of the books were like very country specific or a bit older. So that's when I came up with the idea to to write the book and collate the recipes.
0: That's so cool! I love foreign cuisines too, and I'm so into cookbooks being part travel log. I like to learn about the culture along with the cuisines. And this book is just dreamy and perfect for your bedside table. I adore the photos so much. Did you take these photos?
1: I did, yes. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I've had some great feedback from um, some Baltic people who are living abroad. And they've, in a way, in one way or another, they've said they've been waiting for this book. And that when they got it and saw it, it really took them home and that it represented, um, the landscape they were familiar with in their childhood. If it was their childhood, they left off. So I'm really happy that as a writer and a photographer that that's made me really happy.
0: Oh my gosh, that's the best compliment you could ever get.
1: Yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah. You know, I, I it's a daunting task to write about another country's cuisine. There's no doubt. And, um, I think having a, an outside eye looking in sometimes can help, but, um, you know, I, I got uh, some, some really interesting information from chefs and, and local people who, who helped for the whole project, and, and there's been some great feedback, so that makes me really happy. I mean, all I want to do is share the food with, with people around the world because they're little-known countries, and, and there's not much out there on their f- about their food, so it's, it's great to see that it's doing the job.
0: Why do you think this is a little explored culinary
1: region? they're not countries that everyone visits. Uh, they're small countries. We, we, be, we hear very little from them. And a lot of people would assume that the, the food is similar to uh, the neighboring countries. And, and in a way, at times, it can be very similar. But there's also those little differences that, that make each country's cuisine unique. So it's exciting to dig and have a look at that and, and share it.
0: In the cookbook, the first chapter highlights the Baltic love of dairy. Talk a little bit about that.
1: You know, they've always been agrarian societies where they rely on the land and eat from the land. And, I mean, you can go into the Riga Central Market and just see the, the love of dairy. There's huge selection of cheeses, a lot that are very unfamiliar. We were talking about hemp seeds. There's hemp seeds through cheese. Um, then you might have different consistencies of the cheese with hemp seeds. And there's ingredients um, and different forms of dairy that we are not familiar with. You might have sour milks with various sourness or or different fat contents. Um, also the fresh cheese, which is then turned into curd cheese. Cheese ends up in chocolate, as you might have seen in the book. You know, And the first recipe in the book is an ode to that, uh, the summer milk soup. It's just so simple. And, uh, yeah, I think it speaks volumes of the love of the dairy to have a soup that's just from milk.
0: What else is in it?
1: They use spring vegetables, which, you know, lovely and sweet in the middle of summer. And that's it. The most simple seasoning, salt and pepper. And, uh, yeah, it's. I think it's a classic recipe that represents the region really well.
0: Another interesting um, recipe I read was on page 123, it's the Paragi? Paragi?
1: Oh, yes, the Paragi. Yes, from Latvia.
0: Yes, and it's (laughs) a form of bragging rights. Talk a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, I came across that in research, that um, historically, that would be something that you would bring. I think in midsummer, um, all the communities get together and celebrate midsummer. Uh, It's also a time to celebrate the harvest and what, what the farm is yielding, et cetera. And it's said that if you were to bring a huge tray of those, being filled with pork and made from wheat flour, it's uh, served as a bragging right that things were going well.
0: Would you say rye bread is a staple in all three countries?
1: Yes, definitely. And um, it gets called black bread for some reason. And it's not always black. It can be a little more what we know as rye. But certainly in Lithuania, I noticed the way that they cook it, they make huge loaves. So it gets cooked at a lower temperature for a longer amount of time so that the heat can get all the way through the loaf. And this develops a really dark crust, and that's why the bread turns black, whereas the inside actually isn't black. So I understand how it gets called black bread. And that acts, that's actually quite interesting because the, the loaf gets divided up into portions. So instead of buying your own individual loaf, you'll be at the market, and it'll already be cut up. And it will be weighed and, and priced accordingly. So, bread by weight, essentially. And, um, you know, there's a, re- there's a fantastic restaurant in Tallinn called Lieb, and that, that name is the Estonian word for bread. And I remember the first meal I had there. Uh, the chef, he always came out and spoke about the food. It's a a fantastic restaurant. And uh, I remember being quite surprised when he came and and mentioned that dessert was going to be black bread ice cream. I'll never forget it. And it was delicious.
0: So what was that like?
1: Yeah, really good. I mean, all ice cream's fantastic. Everyone's had a million different flavors. <laughs> but, well, how uh, did they
0: work the bread into the ice cream?
1: I didn't ask him. I never got the recipe. I have since read a recipe. Um, I'm trying to remember now. But I imagine that they in, in the book, you'll see a recipe for bread soup. And that's a sweet dish where you cook down the rye bread with sugar and water. And it becomes like almost like a porridge. So my guess is they use that with an ice cream base, churned it together, with the f- freezing it at the same time. And then you had an ice cream, but it was lovely, sweet. It had the depth of almost like a beer or an ale. And I must say that that recipe in the book for sweet bread soup really took me by surprise because I had had it in the countries, uh, in Latvia particular, and it's not the most beautiful looking thing. <laughs> and <laughs> and I, well, I, while I was reluctant to include it in the book, you know, I made it a few times and it's every time it surprised me. There's something about it being chilled and and sweet it's it's very interesting flavor and and really, really nice, paired with the anything tart, like a tart fruit and and then a little cream. So I think that that would be very similar to what they did to make that black bread ice cream.
0: So last week, I made your recipe for chilled beetroot soup, chilled beetroot soup. that's hard to say on page 26.
1: <laughs> it's Does... easier to say than the Lithuanian name.
0: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Describe this dish and how it was popular in Soviet times and how it epitomizes the flavors of the region.
1: Well, the dish is essentially boiled beets, um, you know, which have sweet, earthy undertones. And then you um, you mix through that some cucumber, uh, but the predominant other ingredient is sour milk, what we also know as kefir, um, which is the perfect um, – Creates perfect balance between the beets and the and the dairy there, uh, and then there's yeah the cucumber, some chopped egg. Uh, you also add some more acidity through lemon juice if you like, and uh, and horseradish is also popular to have with it, and th- they all come together to make something really stunning. I mean, I sat in a square in um, Vilnius last summer and. I, that's all I ordered, and it was hot. It was thirty, which is not that common in in that neck of the woods. And I just remember sitting there and and having that soup as if it was having a gazpacho in Spain. I mean, it was so refreshing, and everything always tastes better than when you're there. But I must say, I came back to Sweden, made it at home again, and and on a hot day, and loved it. I think it's something that. Um, People should take into their chilled soup repertoire, definitely for next summer.
0: Now, to my segment called My Favorite Cookbook. Aside from this cookbook, what is your all time favorite cookbook and why?
1: I've always been impressed by um, Escoffier, the book. But I think, given we're uh, talking about Baltic cuisine, I'll mention one which. Listeners might not know of it, and it is stunning. It's one of my favourite. Um, it's called Proud of Lithuania, a fairy tale by Sweetroot. And uh, Sweetroot is a restaurant in Vilnius uh, that's been, oh, I don't know how many years, but certainly been a very successful restaurant for maybe around five years, longer. Uh, and they have a book which is, mammoth it's 350 pages uh that's just stunning it's beautiful photography uh amazing minimal design design and uh yeah like when you're reading through it it's the prose is great and um it, it really takes you to lithuania and gives you a really strong understanding of the cuisine um and um yeah, I mean, there's just a lot to like about it. I think it comes with like 10 different sleeve options on the outside. So you can pick um, which sleeve you would like. Um, and, yeah, it just talks a lot about the identity of, of Lithuanian cuisine. So it's beautiful. And there's not many. I think it's a limited run. So it, Is it newer or older? Uh, it came out maybe two years ago. Oh, okay. And when I look at it, yeah, the author is just by Sweet Root. So I think it was like a team effort. It's not actually written by um, one particular chef or, or food writer. It's, it's more um, they came together as a group. And, and a lot of the recipes are from the restaurant, but there's also really nice words about Lithuanian food culture. So, yeah, love it.
0: So, where can we find you on the web and social media?
1: Uh, I'm on at Simon Bajada on Instagram. And I also have a website, uh, just simonbajada.com.
0: It is indeed an exciting time for Baltic food. And thanks so much for chatting with me on Cookery by the Book podcast.
1: Thank you, Susie. Thanks for having me on the show. Thanks. Subscribe over on cookerybythebook.com.
0: And thanks for listening to the number one cookbook podcast, Cookery by the Book.